sorry for the delay. Stream issues, but I think we're up and running and good to go. How's everybody doing? Good, good to see you. Well, exciting news. We're uh, all packing up the church and moving to San Diego. So this is getting a little ridiculous. If you like it, you know, it's fun. But it's not fun to wake up in the snow all the time. Right? San Diego, Florida, wherever we want to go. We'll all go together. Um, what else wants to be with you? I'll go through a few announcements. Um, still time to take part in the yoga class. Um, we're meeting now in Fellowship Hall. Everybody's welcome. Uh, next, uh, the men's breakfast on the 5th. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, please try and make time to attend to that. It's uh, nothing serious, just getting together, being together, and eating good food. Um, what else is uh, Middle school is starting their Bible study tonight, uh, 6 to 8 here. Um, got kids or if you know kids it's a good time to be together Matt does a great job property committee they're having a meeting on the 7th at 6 30 in room 201 that's the room at the end of the hall right at the top of the steps um, if you're interested in being part of that it's another easy way to get to know people and have some fellowship and people's place nice part of outreach program and events uh, there's a committee that kind of puts together and plans a lot of the stuff we do or all the stuff um, so if you'd like to be part of that, are part of it, they're going to have a training meeting on the 21st at 6.30. Um, you can contact the office for information about that. And then the one that everybody wants to take part in, shoveling snow. Um, we have a couple people that do it in the morning Sundays. They help get the walks ready. Um, and that's all it is. It's just getting here a little early, shoveling snow. You want to do it, Patty? Patty's bringing a flamethrower. <laughs> I would, uh, that would be great. <laughs> that would be a pretty sweet idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's not that she's going to do it, that she has a flamethrower at all. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> but um, if you'd like to help with that, um, not too serious. There's a couple guys that can do it, and it's a, it's a way to help out. Um, I think that's it. All right, well, if you want to stand, we'll praise God. We're here for him. God, we're here for you this morning. We love you as we sing these songs to you, as we hear your word. Uh, just may our hearts and minds be open to you and to growing closer to you and uh, being a better church for you, God. We're here for you because you loved us first. We're grateful. We love you. And we give this time to you.
sin runs deep your grace is more where grace is found is where you are where you are Lord I am free holiness is Christ in me Lord Go ahead and have a seat, everyone. Glad to see you guys braved another winter day. Hopefully nobody had too many problems getting out of your driveway, getting into a frozen cold car, coming here. Josh worked really hard to get the sidewalks cleaned off. We've been cleaning them off and cleaning them off and cleaning them off, and I'm sure you've been doing the same. And um, the fact of the matter is, it's just winter, and we're in the 
middle of it. And yet, because that season, hopefully, doesn't overshadow the moment that we're in, and that is we're in the kingdom, we're in God's season, and uh, we're in a God moment. And so despite what's happening out there, I'm grateful you guys could come, and hopefully the Lord will speak to us and um, help us along the way. And for you guys online, hopefully the Lord is also uh, at work uh, in this season, hopefully in ways that um, are surprising and good, and for all of us, challenging as well. Um, so with that said, I do want to move into our pastoral uh, concerns that we have, and um, I, I know a lot of you have been um, <clears throat> thinking and praying for Rob Coffey, and some of you are not aware of what's going on with Rob, but um, Rob had a heart attack on Tuesday, and, um, and, and, and he had to, thankfully, he was driving back from Columbus, and he had the presence of mind to pull off at Altman Hospital just as everything kind of converged. So I got to assume that was God's timing in all of it. Um, Rob uh, does have, um, uh, he had a stent put in, but he does have some more work that needs to be done uh, in a couple of weeks. He's at home recovering right now. But, um, you know, he's uh, near and dear to many of us here at First Christian, and I think probably all around the planet, as it turns out. Rob uh, and Karen said that they got texts from people all over the country. And so I'm thinking, how's that going to play out, Rob? You're going to come back. You're going to be a celebrity. And now we got to treat you different. So um, I'm looking forward to that, that challenge. But in the meantime, he obviously has uh, uh, some, some road ahead of him that is going to require a lot of prayer. So please keep Rob and Karen lifted up. And also just want to express gratitude, I think, on their behalf. Uh, she's shared it with me a number of times of just the outpouring of love that people have shown and prayers. And I think that's what's really helped them through this. So please keep that lifted up. Um, just wondered if there was anything you guys had on your mind that we can, we can be praying about this morning that, um, that's your burden or your, your source of joy that you want to just declare a praise about. God's happy to receive either one of them. Anybody? Everybody's in neutral? Okay. Well, if you do have any prayer concerns, please feel free to just, um, if you're online, just uh, type it in to, I believe uh, we're working on uh, the, uh, the dialogue there uh, through Facebook and YouTube and so forth. Uh, and we do want to know what those are so we can be praying about it. Um, I, I will mention one. I have an aunt uh, that um, I was given a phone call on Friday, I believe, uh, and she's, um, they called in hospice. Her name is Sally. Um, she's a dear, dear aunt to me. Second mom kind of aunt. Maybe you've had one of those. Um, and so it's, it's been a little heavy for our household to uh, say goodbye. So ask for prayers for uh, my aunt Sally. That should be sufficient, God knows. Um, but otherwise, a uh, lot of things happening at First Christian, uh, both uh, pastoral and I think good in terms of what we're doing. And I'm just very proud of our church for people stepping into their faith, getting in that groove with the Lord. And uh, hopefully just as one church, we're tracking in a way that um, we can be ready for whatever this new season is that God's creating. So with, we don't do anything without asking God first to be a be in the middle of it and to lead through it. So let's bow and let's ask God to uh, be with us this morning. 
Lord Jesus, we know that when you came into our world, it was a demonstration of what we were supposed to be to begin with. It was almost like humanity 2.0, if we can put it that way, where you embodied everything that was according to the original design of your creation. And you showed uh, an allegiance to the Father that was unbending and unyielding to any other forces that were trying to redefine what your purpose is, Lord. And because of your faithfulness, you've shown the way for us on how we should live our lives. And though we come here very much imperfectly embodying those characteristics, we thank you that your grace is sufficient to help us to move forward towards that life and that, that life abundant. And Lord Jesus, we are looking at your kingdom with fresh eyes and asking fresh questions in a different moment where the things we've done in the past and how we've done them and how we've approached them, you've basically said to churches and to the world, we're just going to reset everything through this very tragic and difficult moment around my priorities. And so, Lord, we want to be on board with that. And we ask that you help us as a church, as a people, as individuals to tune in to what it is that you are saying to us, not only for us, but for the world that you see that is so confused and lost and broken and despairing. The mental health of people around us, we see the edifice cracking and we recognize that the only answer is you, Lord Jesus. Lord, some of us would never imagine that we would come into a place and say, Lord, I need you. Because of our pride, our self-sufficiency, those things that say I can do it on my own. But Lord, we know we can't. We really can't do anything that is worthwhile without you being in the middle of it. And so we want to, as a church, align our allegiances with you once again on this first day of the week. We pray as a church that you help us and help those around us who are wounded in, in body and soul to know your healing touch, to be able to put right those things that are broken. Um, we pray, Father, for Rob Coffey, and we ask, Lord, that you would do a great work in his life as you have helped him through this moment in ways that um, have not only spared his life, but began the process of, 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 of rejuvenating his body once again. So please continue that good work and help Karen and the family alongside them through this time, Lord. You know the hearts that they have for your kingdom. And I pray that in this difficult time, you can work things together for an even more powerful good for their witness, and for their service. Father, I pray for the things that are brought into this room that are unspoken. I know there are things that are being celebrated, and I know there are things that are heavy that are on hearts that um, we bear alone. And you are aware of those, Lord, and I want to lift those up to you. And I know, Father, people that are gathering online, whether it's in this moment right now or down the road when they're watching this later, that you in your own way and time have a way of speaking to us and helping us in our time of need. So I pray for those people as well that will engage with this, this service. I pray, Father, that you help us as a church to be aligned, to be one as you prayed, and to see the things that you see through the lens of 
scriptures like the Lord's Prayer and the Great Commission and how the church first gathered and how the church first functioned. Father, we want to go back to those fundamentals and have the mind of Christ and be of one mind and heart as we serve you in a moment of deep crisis in the world. And so, Father, just as we take our hearts and our minds and we surrender them to you, we pray that you help us to align around all the things that go to make up the Lord's Prayer as we think about each one and pray each one. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, um, we're continuing on in the, in the book of Luke, as you know, and we're surveying uh, chapter 12, and we're about to wrap that part up uh, and move into the next episode of Jesus' time uh, as he's walking in a meandering way towards Jerusalem and towards his destiny. And as that's happening, he's trying to accomplish some things with the people that are, are, are following him and with the people that are leading the country and the people that are leading the church in that, in that, in that way of doing it. And as we've been going through Luke, we've been asking the question, what is it that Luke had to say to the people in his day about Jesus that resonates with what we are doing here at First Christian in this moment. And hopefully if you've been tracking with us, you know that uh, there, for a lot of us, we come, we come away from a Sunday saying, man, God really spoke to me. God really spoke to this moment. And I feel like that this is just a God thing that's larger than you and I. And I hope that it's helpful for us as we're trying to keep our mental health we're trying to keep the wheels on. We're trying to keep from going off the rails, like so many people are struggling with right now, by attending to what we're reading in the words of Scripture as Luke has defined them for us. And so today we're, 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 we're continuing um, basically the latter part of a sermon that Jesus was giving to the crowds around him. But he had in mind especially uh, the religious leaders who are in their backdrop kind of stalking him through uh, all of his um, meanderings through the countryside, looking for ways to trip him up, looking for ways to undo the, the following that he has, to discredit his life. And as that's happening, um, he just really unloads in ways that are shocking. And last week we got a little taste of that. This week, um, he, he pushes it a little bit further. And so the drama is pretty intense in this text. And I want to try to capture it the best that I can for you guys. But I also hope that as we're listening, as we're in a posture, which I hope when you come to worship, your posture is simply, I want to surrender everything that I am and, and all that I have on my mind to you. And I want to ask you, Lord, what do you have to say to me? Because the biggest problem that Jesus was facing was they had other ideas about what Jesus should and shouldn't be doing. And I don't want to be guilty of that. 
So as we read the text, I think we find out what those things are that we need to pay attention to. So here Jesus says, I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. How's that for just right out of the gate? I mean, he's saying something that I didn't say probably with the, the level of intonation that he brought, but essentially he's saying that my job here is not fun as I'm looking at what I need to do. And the reason is simply because he cares. He cares enough to have a level of righteous anger that he's willing to shake up the people around him. And his intent isn't to offend in a way that, that um, dehumanizes us, but his intent is to offend those things in us that don't fit in the kingdom. And there's a difference. And as Jesus is saying these things, people are like, what did you say? Because in the Old Testament, whenever fire was used, it was always in relation to God purifying those things that are not what they should be and destroying those things that weren't right. And in the end, the result should be what comes out of that is something so much better. And for those of you who've worked in the steel industry around here, I think you understand this, that if you're involved in, 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 in the processing of metal or the tooling of, 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 of machines and, um, and, and fabrication elements that are designed to cut that metal, you know that heat is essential for those components to be the strongest they can possibly be under those conditions. And it's no different, it's just an analogy, really, of what God, by design, does with us when he makes us uncomfortable about things. When we read something and we're like, man, I wish I didn't, didn't know that. I wish you wouldn't have said that. Have you ever had somebody say something to you and it was very pointed and you're like, that hits the target so much that... I don't like you anymore, right? And the problem isn't the person bringing it, is it? The problem is the effect that it's having on you because it's kind of laying bare that thing that's not right. And God is in the business of bringing that to the surface and saying, oh, yeah, that's not right. But there's something about you and I that God sees and we know is very resistant to that. But if you've ever been called out on something and you made it right, don't you feel like, yeah, in the end, that probably wasn't a bad thing. Now, husbands, I know you're getting nervous because sometimes wives have a really keen way of doing that. And we'll save that for another sermon. How's that? Okay, well, Jesus does see a crisis coming, and he recognizes that a lot of it is because he's provoking it. He's saying things that are disruptive. He's saying things that are offensive to those things that need to be called out. And when they're called out, he's saying things that says they need to be processed through fire. But then he goes to include himself in that process by, by saying that fire is actually going to come down on me. And you're like, huh? 
why does the fire need to come down on you? But I think when we get to Jerusalem and when we celebrate communion every time that we do, we know that he took the fire for the things that we would have taken the fire for. And a bloodstained cross ultimately says that fire created forgiveness for you. But he says it's coming. The baptism is coming. It's going to be a baptism of fire. And I want to warn you followers of Jesus when, or followers of me rather, and followers of Jesus as we go into this with him, I want to warn you that it's going to be demanding. And it's going to require from you and I absolute allegiance if you plan to get through it intact. It's some pretty tall order stuff. And Jesus isn't pulling any punches here. A crisis is coming, and my own fate is going to be the central feature of the fire that's getting ready to happen. But the fire is actually going to affect everybody. All right? So you with me so far? Maybe some of you are thinking, man, I wish I didn't come to church today because, boy, that's some pretty heavy-hitting stuff. But I, I want to assure you that this all goes for a good purpose that, in the end, leaves us in a place where we're, like, grateful. I promise you. And Jesus is looking at the signs that are happening around him. And if you are to size it up, you would see this. Romans at every corner with all their armament and all their oppressive heavy-handedness, all of their micromanaging of our everyday affairs, all the things that say the government is in control, don't you step out of line. Don't know if that relates to anything. But then there's the oppressive regime of Herod. So it's bad enough that the Roman government is put, put its boot on our necks. But now we've got Herod, who's supposed to be in the lineage of the kings of da King David. And his whole thing is, we need to spend more money for more places for me to have holiday retreats on the north end of the country and on the south end of the country. And I need some more power, too, while I'm at it. So we need some more taxes. So there's that sense of, wow, piling on both powerfully and economically and then religiously. There are people who are responsible to do the things like, like, like I do and like other pastors do and like other religious leaders do and elders and people that are responsible for the care of the flock. Their posture towards life was simply arrogance and indifference to the plight of the people. And they really didn't care much about the history or the tradition of, of, of who they were as the people of God. They were more concerned about teachings that were given a generation before and how they were squaring up with those teachings. And then they were concerned about picking and choosing those teachings that kind of fit what they wanted to do. And it got so sideways and distorted that it wasn't even recognizable as something that was connected to the call of Abraham, the calling of the people out of Egypt, the enthronement of King David, the chastisement of the prophets. That stuff in their mind was just 
distant ancient history for other people in another time, not relevant. And then there are the Pharisees. And they had created from these teachings that I mentioned a different way, a set of rules. And I'll, I'll just equate them to kind of what my dad experienced growing up as a Seventh-day Adventist in California. Simply this, don't drink, don't chew. I know you're getting ready to say, yeah, and don't go out with girls who do. No, I'm not going to say that, okay? I'm not saying that this time. You don't play sports. You don't go to the movies. And then you're good. Well, honestly, how many of you have read that in the Bible? Anywhere? Nowhere. That's kind of the way these guys were. And so they were walking around with a, with a magnifying glass, looking at your life, and then they were saying, Paula, step up your game. Robin, step up your game. No drinking in church. Sorry. <laughs> Do you have alcohol in there, Robin? Are you sure? We'll, we'll, we'll do a breathalyzer check after the service. Okay, so you get the ridiculousness of it, right? And here Jesus is looking at the people of God who in their storied form go all the way back to the garden and then what was initiated in that space, the brokenness in all things, connection to God, connection to each other, and even ourselves as we see ourselves. And he's saying, we have to redo that. We have to do a humanity reset. And so, the other sign was a young prophet of really no pedigree, no social network, so to speak, no resourcing, no social status of any kind by those definitions, and he's announcing the kingdom of God in a way that they had never heard before. And the interesting thing is, people are hearing it, and they're saying, that's it. That resonates with my soul. And so they're, they're attentive to every word that he says. They're just hanging on it. And as they're doing that, Jesus is trying to explain, this is, this is a pretty big deal, trying to redefine what those four groups of people have done to God's people in a way that they will not comprehend, knowing that they have the power to shut down a prophet who is of really no resource except for one thing. God is with him. And the only way that he can win this battle with those guys is absolute loyalty to the point where he's even saying in the garden, Father, if it's your will, take this cup away from me. And you can imagine the excruciating, intense moment that that was for him saying, I'm starting to waver here, but not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus is bringing that single-minded determination that is aligned with the purposes of God to bear on this battlefront. And he's kind of like the David versus the Goliaths. And so he says, I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. 
Now, if you've been following with Luke, you know that one of the things that came out of the birth stories were prophetic declarations by Jesus' mom and Jesus' uncle saying that there would be peace on earth and there would be a, a, a unified house. And then Jesus says here something completely contradictory to those statements about what to expect. He says, I have come to bring division. And Jesus is making a, a bold move here because his ultimate goal is to have everybody together. Not just like, you know, when you go to a family reunion and you see people and you're talking to them and you're like, yeah, that person's always been weird. We'll just say hi and bye and we'll move on. Or don't eat the salad from that person because last time we did, there was a tomato worm in it. You know, and you got all this stuff that says we're connected, but we're not really connected. That's a true story, by the way, but I'll just leave it at that. On a superficial level, we have biology in common, but that's about it. But what Jesus is trying to do is align something at a deeper level, hearts and minds. Because I got a family reunion. We may all look the same, but we are not looking at life the same. And Jesus is basically doing something that says, I'm going to create a vision for life where hopefully in the end, everybody starts to see it. And in the end, even though it's going to be a bumpy road for people to wrap their minds around, around it and be open-minded enough to grow into it, in the end, I hope that we are one together. But in the meantime, not everybody's going to get it right out of the gate. And so he says something that um, I, I think is confusing for people that have been following. But what he's doing is he's setting up the conditions so that when people gather in his name, they're all of one heart and one mind, having everything in common and caring for one another in selfless ways that just show generosity. And I, I actually like this quote from Buckminster Fuller because I think it summarizes well what is going on between Jesus and, and the, the, the way things have been established. He says, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. He's not saying, I'm going to take over what you guys are doing. But rather, he's saying to change something, you have to build a new model of what makes that old model obsolete. I don't know if you guys know who Buckminster Fuller is, but um, if you ever heard of geodesic domes, you know, those round domes that got the little triangular supports and stuff. And he made a whole bunch of stuff that was just thinking outside of the box kind of crazy. But later on, a lot of people started embracing that down the road after he was already dead. And they said, you know what, he was onto something, but we did not see it at the time. And that's why his name still crops up. And I even had a guy in my church who was actually a student of Buckminster Fuller who made his house out of a geodesic dome. And I remember going into it looking like a spaceship. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And he started coming to our church, and he showed me his house. I'm like, wow, this is so cool and so mind-blowing. He actually made me plans for a geodesic dome house. Probably if I lived 10 lives, I'd build one, but probably not going to happen. Just going to stick with the old you know, country home. But Buckminster Fuller essentially hit something that Jesus was already onto, and that was he's got to redefine what it's all about in ways that from the ground up, he's got to rebuild it. It's an upside-down kingdom. 
And if you've been in, in that class with us, you kind of get how Jesus is doing things that are not along the lines of how people did things in his world. Instead of the master saying, you guys serve me, he's saying stuff like, the master came to serve and to give his life. Instead of people saying, I'm going to get mine before you get yours because it's a scarcity world, he's saying, I'm going to give to the point of extravagance even though I don't have because in this kingdom, God is always providing from the outside into this world in ways that the logic of this world does not understand. And if you've ever had God, if you've ever taken your doubt and you've replaced it with faith and you've trusted God in those moments, you've seen him do things that are not from this world. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming to bring that way of life. And it's different. Matter of fact, when I go to Jerusalem, it's not going to be an armed conflict, but a disarmed surrender to the forces of evil. But the crazy thing is, I'm going to win. Because he understands the rules even better than they do. Well, I'm looking forward to that showdown. But for now, let's just trust that when we're studying the kingdom together, and God's calling you and I and First Christian Church into it, we're trying to get on board with it. Can I at least have that from you guys? So Jesus, he's saying, I'm going to bring some peace, but not like the world brings. But it's not going to come just yet. Because the kind of peace that Rome brings is, is hey, you know what? Everything is good in Rome as long as you do what we tell you to do or else. I mean, how could that not provide peace? And then Jesus said, from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three, and they'll be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. <laughs> maybe you're like, you said that in one breath, or maybe you're thinking, yeah, that's our house right there. But no doubt, when we get serious about Jesus, there will be pushback. I remember my own dad saying, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to Bible college, and I'm going to church, and it's my new life. He was pretty cynical, a little bit belligerent about it. Until I baptized him. Because somewhere along the way, clicked and he saw something that he'd never seen before and I'm confident that if people see the stuff of Jesus in your life and mine it will start to click well the problem is we do need a savior because the bottom line is the leadership of that situation clearly was a wreck but the people were too I love the quote from Oscar Wilde. I wouldn't call him a theologian, but I'd call him a realist. He said, I can resist everything except temptation. And that's humanity. That is humanity 
all the way back to the garden, right? And it's a way of saying that we need help from the outside in ways that are not according to answers and solutions that we've tried and tried again from the inside. We need something completely different. And Jesus said, I'm God, but I'll become one of them, like them, in ways that go through what they go through, and then show them how to live. In ways that show the face of God to you and I as we read those words in Scripture. And I remember reading them as a person asked me, who is Jesus? And rather than saying, oh, I read enough, when I, when, I, when I saw the face of God in the King James Version of the gospel I was trying to read and interpret, I still saw it. And there was something there that said, come closer. We've got so much good stuff here. Um, Jesus' ultimate goal wasn't to divide families, but ultimately to unify them under his lordship. And this process clearly is messy, like I mentioned with my dad. But I also in this process want to mention my Aunt Sally. Because my Aunt Sally was, we were kind of wired a lot alike, and that's why she resonated with me. She was interested in everything. And so she was into a lot of stuff. And half the time I spent with my mom when I was a kid, the other half of the time I spent at her house. I'm like, Sally, what are you doing now? What are you into? Well, I just bought a kiln. Now I'm into pottery. And Sally, what, what are you into now? Well, we just bought a horse, and uh, I'm into horses now. And you could just go through the list. My world just opened up with this gal. When I told Aunt Sally, Aunt Sally, I found the Lord. She said, I am so thrilled for you. What can I do to help? So the first person who ever bought me any books was my Aunt Sally. Went to Bible college. She bought me stuff for school. I came out here. And all the suits I used to wear all the time, guess who bought them? Aunt Sally. And then it kind of came full circle. I called her yesterday, I called hospice in, and I said, Aunt Sally, I want you to know something. I'm glad I caught you before you went to be with the Lord because you need to hear this. I love you. You have been such a wonderful, kind, generous, inspiring human being for me to begin to shape my life and character with. And when I went to school, you did everything that you could do to ensure that it caught. Thirty-five some years later, I'm praying with you now about going to meet the Lord that you helped me to tell people about. And it was kind of hard to be a pastor and a nephew at the same time in that moment, but there's something about the lives of people around you when they're aligned with the Lord that's very powerful because people start to pay attention. Her kids started going to church, I remember. And a lot of family members started going. 
And I thought, you know what? A divided house is starting to come together, but it's not coming together in a way that we could have orchestrated. It's coming together because everybody says Jesus is the most important thing or person. And that includes this house. And it's a daily struggle for us to say Jesus first. But that's essentially where he's driving this. And he's saying it's messy until we get there. And don't be surprised if it's upsetting. And don't be surprised if it's divisive. But my goal is not to be, in the end, a breeder of hate, a causer of division, a person who is creating forces where people are not reconciled. My job is to show a new vision, and it's going to be upsetting. And in verse 54, he said to the crowd, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately say, It's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, It's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? So kind of winding this part of the sermon down, he's actually trying to take the moment that they're in and say, you guys look out at the Sea of Galilee, and you can see the, gla- the clouds. It's kind of like us looking off to the west, you know, and seeing clouds coming this way, and you see blue skies here, and you're like, well, those blue skies are about to end, Ohio, right? And then, then they end, and we know it's probably going to rain or snow or something. And then those guys, they look off to the desert, and they see something brewing their way, and they know it's just going to be pretty sultry. But they're not really asking the questions with eyeballs that see things that are a little bit deeper. And that is, what is God doing in this moment? And he says, you don't even see it. You're so preoccupied with your stuff, what's important to you, that you're not asking the question, what is important to Jesus? Because already they just hated him. And murder was on the agenda. And it wasn't a matter of if, but when. And it wasn't that they were any different than a lot of us. Because when Jesus starts sort of nudging us, if you're like me, I'll be honest with you. I say, go away. I don't want your stuff. I don't want your religion. There's something about you that part of me likes but it's too invasive. It's too much. Jesus said, you can follow me, but you got to give me all. Way too much. And then Jesus says to these guys, a moment is happening right before your eyes, and you don't see it. And the word that Luke uses is the word kairos. And kairos, a kairos Moment is different than a, you know, Kronos moment. Well, it's 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It is January uh, uh, 30th, year of our Lord, 2022. Tomorrow will be the 31st, right? Unless I got it wrong. That's Kronos moment. And all I thought about was this moment is no different than any other moment. I'm in church this Sunday, no different than any other Sunday. I'm living my life in 2022, no different than any other decade or any other year. But maybe God is saying, this is a different moment. 
Luke even uses this word for time called kairos, which the Bible is pretty specific that it is a God moment. It is the moment when God is doing something. And the Bible is littered with God moments where God shows up and he says to Abraham, hey, go. Says to Moses, hey, it is time. Says to David, you are the king. And there's just many, many places where in Scripture God says, I'm doing something right now. The conditions are just right from my point of view to act. And I honestly can't help but wonder, I've never seen a moment like the moment that we've been in the last two years, never in my lifetime. My question for you is, is this a Kairos moment for FCC? And I think we got to, with sincere hearts, each of us, Ask God, are you doing something different in this moment? And if you are, help us to not just be caught up in the mundane and everyday business-as-usual routines, but to be in tune with you. Because Jesus, he's pretty harsh on people that aren't. And he says, I want you to recognize that this is a God moment, that this is happening. And I want you to be able to respond to it in a way that honors God's purpose so that I can do the work that I came to do. And if the conditions are right, some good things will happen. And we talked about this at the elders meeting, about there are a lot of people that are thinking about spiritual things, but they've discounted the church because it's old and dusty and really just... They've been there and they've done that and it's not helpful because it's business as usual. And so one of the elders brought up how there's an after-school program that's happening in part of the country and it's, hey, let's bring some uh, kids on board for Satan worship. And there's all, I mean, my wife was at, the, at a place in Salem talking to a retail person who had an interesting necklace. And she said, what kind of necklace is that? And the girl responded, oh, that's, that's my Wiccan neck- necklace. And so Mandy pried a little bit, and they said, yeah, there's a coven here in Salem, but the better ones are, you know, towns north of us, and the really good one is up in Cleveland. They got their act together. People are hungry Because a lot of people have been just with a funnel and a straw doing the media to a point where their brain and their minds are so toxically infiltrated, they can't even think right. All they can do is live in abject fear about what's coming next. And Jesus is pretty vocal about that posture. In the Bible, 352 times says the phrase, fear not. One for, how many days are in the year? 365. Yes, that number. That's why I'm not doing your taxes, people. But there is one number that I can't understand. And it's the number Jesus prayed about. That is that we would be one. 
In John 17, the most powerful prayer that I think was ever given was prayed not only for the people in front of him, but it was also prayed, prayed for the people that would follow, and that would be us. So I made a little graphic, and I think it summarizes it well, and I think it directs us well in this moment. And that is, Jesus prayed in John 17, 11, I pray that they would be one. That's all I ask, that they'd be one. Now that they get it, I pray that they would be one. And it's a prayer that we want to honor. And I think we're in a moment. The elders think we're in a moment. And the elders went through Acts 2 that defines the Christian church traditionally. They went through Ephesians 4, which describes what a church is like when it functions in a healthy way. They went through Matthew 28, which describes the church that is focused on mission, and they ask the question, what do these verses have to say? What do they have to say about the early church? What do they have to say about the Christian church at the beginning? And what do they have to say about us? And then there's another prayer that we do, and that's the Lord's Prayer, every Sunday. And some of you are like, glad he didn't cut that one out. That's our lifeblood right there. That prayer if you don't know anything about Jesus, I believe embodies everything that Jesus was about. I truly do. If you understand the Lord's Prayer, probably the rest of it is just commentary. And so for Lent, we're going to do a Lent challenge starting in about a month, and I want you guys to be praying about this. Because I really want our church to be united around thinking about the Lord's Prayer thinking about the early church in Acts 2, thinking about Ephesians 4, and thinking about the Great Commission. And so I'm about halfway through writing this guide. It'll be done hopefully soon. And the goal is for us to just use this as a devotional time during Lent and ask the question, God, how does this have bearing on us as a church if this is truly a Kairos moment. So I'm asking all of you guys to be praying about this. If you agree that it is important that First Christian Church is one church, not on anything I say, but on what emerges out of us chewing on this and digesting it together. That's my prayer. But I don't want to see a house divided, and neither did Jesus. And I don't want to see us trying to do things the way the world does things and expect a Jesus outcome. And I don't want people to languish any longer than they have to in the sin that keeps them back from becoming the person that Jesus made us to be. Are you with me? So, he says, why do you judge for yourself what is right? And it's a question for all of us. And some of us may be too distracted by trying to hide from the things that make us anxious that we're not paying attention. And some of us may be saying, I've tried the distractions, but the problem is deeper than that. It's a Jesus-sized problem. 
And if that's the case and you have that realization, we are so glad you're here. Because he's the only one that can fix that thing that's broken in each of us. And the way that it happens is deeply personal because his whole aim isn't to berate us or bludgeon us. It may be to provoke us and it may be to convict us, but it's for the purpose of making us who God called us to be in the first place. And us as a people who God called us to be in the first place. And the way it starts is allegiance with him. And many of us look at a baptismal moment as a way of publicly saying, I'm good with that vision, and I'm with him. And if you're not with him, and hopefully this has been provoking enough, as Jesus has used perhaps the words of a very limited, capable person to say what he would say so much better, he may be nudging you right now. And I would say, do not ignore that. This is a God moment. And God may be saying, it's time to come home. I'm glad my Aunt Sally is going home because she settled all that stuff before. And I have no worries. Well, that's the end of this message. And I want to leave it to you to process that, to filter it. Perhaps at the end of the service, come up to me and say, hey, I need to do something about that. And that's why I'm here. And that's why we're here. So let's pray, shall we? And then um, I believe Jason's going to lead us to the communion table. Father, we are grateful for the way your son embodied those things that told about who you are in such a way that got the job done even beyond what we could imagine. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are personally here in your spirit. Thank you, Father, for helping us to see through these words, hopefully, your words for this moment that our world and FCC are in right now. I pray for our church that we would be aligned and surrendered in our allegiance as we ask these things in Jesus' name. How many times during the week do you miss those God moments or those Kairos moments? We all, we all are busy. We all have many things on our mind. But I guess what I'm asking is this week as you go about your, your, your day, take time to think about those God moments. Think about those times that you might be, you know, a, a friend might be on their way home and they're having a heart attack and somehow they... They make their way to the hospital and they're saved. Or a pedestrian walking down the street gets hit by a car and it wasn't really that bad. Well, they survived. Think about uh, the time you might be in a yoga class and God speaks to you and tells you something that you hadn't thought about before. There's many of those times that we go through in, in our day that 
we just don't really stop to think about sometimes. But the time that, uh, that God has given us here on earth, he, he wants us to, to honor him on a weekly basis. And that's why we come to, to him in communion each week. And we remember the salvation, the free gift of salvation that he has given us through his death on the cross. And that's why we come to remember him at communion. So if you'll join me in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that you give us each week to, to remember your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his death on the cross. We thank you for uh, the life that he lived here on earth to give us an example to live, live by. We ask your blessings upon this cup and this loaf as we partake. In your son's name, amen. stand with us in your own time.
put us in the spot we should be when we started this book and especially this chapter you told us to fear you instead of man and and you started creating our allegiance to you and defining it and, and then you told us not to be rich towards the world but to be rich towards God and then you told us to seek your kingdom first and then you told us that you're coming back and then you told us you came to bring division so that we might not be in unity with the wrong thing, so we would be in unity with the right thing, and that's the right one, that's you. So regardless of how we came in, may we leave with a clearer understanding, clearer sight, and fix the eyes of our faith on you. May we never depart. May we feel it when we do. May you grant us this gift, and it's for your wonderful name we pray. Thank you. Amen. All right, we'll see you soon. If you'd like to stay after and dig deeper or have any questions, you can stay after and we host a class in here. A uh, good way to meet people, fellowship, and talk. All right, we'll see you.